On WAJR AM and FM, this is the Talk of the Town. From Morgantown to Clarksburg, if it's happening, we're talking about it. Call the show toll-free, 1-800-765-8255. Now, here are your hosts for the Talk of the Town, Dave Wilson and Sarah Giosi. Good morning. Welcome into the program. Just Dave, of course. Sarah is continuing her advanced parental training program. I don't. When do we start the countdown for Sarah's return? I I got to know when Sarah's return is. We're we're ballparking it sometime in the middle of summer. Once we get a firm date, we'll start the countdown to Sarah's return. How about that? Eight hundred seven six five talk. Eight hundred seven six five eight two five five. Coming up on the show today, uh, scheduled to join me in studio for the second half of this program is uh, Republican gubernatorial challenger Woody Thrasher, as. He will challenge the governor in the Republican primary coming up next May. That's right, next May. Um, he'll join me in the studio. we got a lot to talk about with uh, Woody Thrasher. That's coming up 9.33. Joining me right now on the program is Harrison County Delegate and House Minority Leader Tim Miley. He hand-delivered a letter to the governor's office yesterday uh, calling on the governor to work with legislative leaders to end the special session on education reform. Good morning, Tim. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Uh, doing well. First question, was the governor there when you delivered the letter? I, he was. It didn't appear that he was. <laughs> okay. When I say that, I mean, I didn't see his car outside, and I hand-delivered it to one of his assistants. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you can read between those yeah, lines. Yeah, you take away from that what you want to. Uh, right. Why did you feel this was necessary? Why take this step? Uh, here's why, Dave. <clears throat> Let's start with a very basic premise that this work should have and could have gotten completed during the regular session for which all delegates and senators get elected and for which they get paid to do work. But all too often it's become commonplace that we're having special sessions every summer, it seems like, because we can't get the work done during the regular session. Each of the past four summers, we've had some type of special session or legislative gathering for issues that could have and should have gotten done during the regular session. But even even if even if there are issues that arise and they are rare that may require a special session, you'd like to think they could be accomplished with an agreement and or understanding generally going in about what it is you're looking to pass, trying to forge an agreement, a bipartisan agreement with everybody, so that what you pass isn't political but instead is good policy. And what has happened is starting with the call of the special session, for which it was very open-ended, the House leadership very clearly made a commitment to its members and the public that they were going to take up the bills uh, one by one and either vote them up or down and move on. And I think Amy Summers, the majority leader, uh, uh, commented and and committed to that on your show. I think she she said that's what she was going to do. I I happened to have caught that show (laughs) one day. But so in spite of that, you have Mitch Carmichael um, ignoring the will of the House, which is certainly his prerogative. But he once again bundles the bills together into an omnibus bill, knowing there's going to be objection to it and sends it over to the House. So I see us now on the same glide path that we went on during the regular session, where we aren't likely to get any good policy passed during this regular session. And at the end of the day, it will end up being a waste of taxpayers' money and our time. 
Talking to uh, House Minority Leader Tim Miley, we've said the same thing here on this program, that the worst thing that can happen here, Tim, is that we end up right back where we started, where the, the House does one thing, the Senate rejects it, the House rejects the Senate's bill, and at the end of the day, we've, we, we've done absolutely nothing, and uh, you're making it pretty clear you feel that's the path we're on right now. Well, I feel that way, and I feel that way because it seems that from what I'm hearing through the rumor mill in Grapevine in Charleston, the majority party in the House has now abandoned its commitments and promises it made and is now trying to pass the Senate bill. Well, I don't know what tweaks, if any, they are, they are going to try and make to the Senate bill, but I'd like to know that because just let me just tell you, to be clear, if there is an omnibus bill or standalone bill, that can pass with overwhelming bipartisan support, I don't think either Speaker Roger Hanshaw or me or any of our members of our caucuses have that much pride and ego to where we care what form it takes. But what we are opposed to is an omnibus bill that has highly objectionable parts to it with some other parts that people want to vote for all jumbled together in an omnibus bill. So if we're going down that path, I see it crashing and burning. And quite frankly, the governor has come out very publicly and stated that he is not for what the Senate has done. He encouraged them to just end their work a week or more ago to, and to go home, and they haven't yet. So I implored the governor to meet with Speaker Hanshaw <clears throat> to bring an end to this legislative set, this special legislative session, if it appears we're on the same path that we were in the regular session. Because the teachers and service personnel, Dave, have already come out and spoken. They are willing to forego the raise, that, the unconditional raise, I should add, that was promised to them in lieu of going through this catastrophe of a bill that may pass and may do harm, at least in their eyes, or may not pass at all and we're back to square one. What is it about the omnibus bill? Because there are a lot of things I think that everybody can agree on. Uh, you know, the teacher pay raise is obviously in there. Uh, support services, um, you know, expansion of Mountaineer Challenge Academy. We talked to Bob Morris yesterday, the director out there, about what they're doing out at uh, Camp Dawson. So what is it about the omnibus bill, Tim, that just makes you unable to get behind it or, or give in a little bit here? Well, I think for most people, and I say most people because I hate painting with a broad brush to be inclusive of everybody, but for most people, they have serious concerns about the charter school provision. Mm -hmm. And while Mitch Carmichael and his Senate Republicans will tell you nothing in the bill mandates the creation of a charter school. It leaves it in the hands of 55 county boards of education. Well, okay, what, what, what can you foresee happening from that? <clears throat> Number one, people whispering in their ears, boy, the students in our county aren't doing very well. You need to create a charter school. So they go down the path, whether they really appreciate what they're doing or not, I do know, that remains to be seen. But they go down the path of creating a charter school, and that risks sucking students out of the public school system that already exists and diluting the public school system for which we have an obligation as a government to continue to provide to people who are not part of that charter school process. Number two, while they want to tell you there's a lottery for the charter school student selection, there is not a lottery unless there is insufficient capacity. So, for example... If the charter school has room for 300 kids, they can select who they want to select <clears throat> Excuse me, until they reach a capacity issue. Well, that's not going to be for some time. So who do you think they're going to select just so they can show the success of a charter school? They're not going to select 
the poorest performing students. They're not going to select the students from low socioeconomic areas that may be performing poorly. They're going to select the cream of the crop, as you would do and I would do, because they want to prove how good and effective charter schools are. I also think there's part of the bill, and I need to get some clarification on this, that sends a lot of money down to the local level to pay for a lot of this and gives local control of a lot of the education money that now comes from the state. Given what has happened around the state, and and again, I hate to identify the exception as being the rule, but when you send what might be millions of dollars down to the local level, you are inviting fraud and waste and and the potential for abusing uh, the money that's, that's in your possession and for which you have control. Talking to uh, Harrison County Delegate Tim Miley, of course, uh, House Minority Leader as well. A um, couple of things there as far as the, as the charters go, and this kind of goes into to a, a bigger question, I, I guess. One of the things, and maybe I'm misinterpreting how this is being phrased, but uh, boards of education, teachers, educators, let me use educators as, as a broad term there which I don't like to do either, but, you know, we, we do the same thing sometimes. Right, um, sure. You know, wanting more local control, wanting more, uh, you know, say-so over, um, you know, curri- I suppose curriculum, but wanting more say-so and less coming, you know, mandates coming from Charleston. Wouldn't this uh, fall into that, that, you know, that request to have a little bit more control locally over what's going on? You know, yes and no, and mm-hmm. I know that sounds like a typical wishy-washy <laughs> answer, but let me explain. There are there's at least one teacher um, in the in the Democratic caucus in the House. I'm trying to think if there are any other. He's retired. There may be. No, I'm sorry. There's more than one teacher. One who is a current teacher, one who's a retired teacher. And there may be more. But the, the one teacher with whom I spoke in our caucus from McDowell County, I asked him, Ed, it was Ed Evans. What what handcuffs are being placed on teachers at the local level? Because that's anecdotally what we hear. We're, we have handcuffs on us because we can't teach. Let us teach. There's too many restraints coming down from on high. And he said, Tim, I don't know what handcuffs people are talking about, because he was not only a teacher, the National Science Teacher of the Year, I may add, but he substitute teaches as well. He said, if you want to teach a child, you can teach a child. There's no handcuffs, so stop using excuses. What he did say, though, was a problem with the level of discipline in the classrooms that disrupts the learning environment for the entire classroom and every other student. That has become a major problem. And while I don't like to quote anecdotal stories, that seems to be such a common theme that I'm hearing at every turn that we really need to get a handle on that. And until we do, I'm not so sure we're going to solve much of any problem in the public school system. You know, again, it's anecdotal as well, but from conversations I've had with, you know, current and and retired educators, Tim, the handcuff seems to be the discipline and, and having to deal with, uh, many uh, wear many other hats other than just teacher. You you become social worker. You become you know. Did this student eat breakfast and lunch today? Uh, does this student have food to take home at night? Just to use that as an example, it becomes having to deal with everything else. And then we you know teaching gets pushed down the list. But the omnibus bill, since that's the only bill we have out on the table to talk about right now, I mean there is some provisions in there for trying to help that situation, isn't there? No, that's right. I I didn't say the entire omnibus bill was bad. There are many parts of it that do good things. Mm. But my question, Dave, is if you have the votes to pass an omnibus bill, you should also have the votes to pass the bills as standalone bills. Why don't you do that? And it's clear Mitch Carmichael is not willing to do that because the Senate Democrats wanted that to be done. 
He refused. Mm -hmm. So if the House Republican leadership lives up to its promises and commitments and passes standalone bills and sends them over to the Senate, we know what's going to happen because it's already happened. Mitch Carmichael has completely rejected that that process. So I don't understand his thinking. I, I really believe, Dave, that we have egos and pride at work in Charleston. And I think you've seen that those character flaws rear their ugly heads over the past week when you have public displays of attack between the governor and Senate president, the, the Senate finance chair and the governor. It's become very embarrassing for us as elected representatives in the eyes of the public. And the public, it just does us no service to do that openly and be so childlike and petty when we do that. You know, I hadn't thought about it like that because, you know, Tim, I understand the, the strategy of bundling it all together there. And, you know, you have something you want to get through that, you know, you're not sure where you bundle it with that. And that's as old as politics. But if you have the votes there and you're confident you have the votes, then, yeah, you could put it up. And, you know, I mean, you could run a charter school bill through there. And if you've got the votes, there, there's nothing the minority party could do to stop it. So Right, yeah. right. And, and we know the governor is opposed to the charter schools, at least as it's in the bill currently. I think he's open to, a, you know, two or three pilot charter schools. But so he vetoes the bill, let's just say, either in an omnibus form or standalone bill. Okay, it only takes 51 percent to override the veto. So we spend another day of taxpayer dollars coming down to override a veto, maybe. The problem is people plan their lives and their years mm -hmm. around the 60-day session because we are a citizen legislature, and they have other plans throughout the rest of the year, especially including the summer. But because some people have a lot of time on their hands to just spend time in Charleston and spend that taxpayer dollars, there's no effort and, and, and incentive to get things done during the regular session. And if we keep rewarding this type of ineffectiveness during the 60 days only to come back during the summer special session, then we're never going to get anything meaningful done during the regular session. Because why should we? We know we can always come back. And that's just, I think it's wrong. House of, uh, House of Delegates Minority Leader Tim Miley. Tim, I want to ask you one more question related to the education bill, but the governor's role or lack thereof, in your opinion, how has that contributed to where we are right now and, and coming to this point where we're, it feels like we're headed down the same road we were three, four months ago? I wish, well, in, in my experience in Charleston, what, has hap what I have observed happen in the past that has proven to be most successful is that the governor leads by example and, and gets everyone together before you call a special session. You have some idea of what legislation you are looking to pass, and you massage it, if you will, with those legislative leaders from both parties to try to get a good piece of legislation so that when you come into a special session, you're not it's not a protracted legislative session. Maybe if all the all the cards are on the table and you know what you want to pass and everyone's on board, maybe you come in in one day and get it done. The way it's been 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 handled in this in this special session, it, it hasn't been done like that, and that's I think what has caused a little bit of the friction between the House and the Senate and the governor. House of Delegates Minority Leader and Harrison County Delegate Tim Miley. Tim, I appreciate you taking some time with me this morning. Dave, no problem. You can call me anytime. All right, appreciate it. 921, back after this. Now, back to the talk of the town on WAJR. 
800-765-TALK. 800-765-8255. Got a couple of minutes here. We'll uh, open up phone lines. 304-TALK-304 is the text line. You can also tweet the show. At Dave and Sarah AM is our Twitter handle. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to visit with Republican gubernatorial candidate Woody Thrasher. He's challenging Governor Justice for the GOP nomination coming up in the uh, primary next May. Got a couple of things to ask him about. His take on senators, you know, no confidence in the governor. Is there tor- a turmoil? Turmoil. I'll try to say it, you know, much more elo- eloquently during the interview. Turmoil in the GOP, education reforms, omnibus, going to get into all of that uh, with Woody Thrasher coming up at the bottom of the hour. 800-765-TALK, 800-765-8255, 304-TALK-304. I thought that was a good conversation with uh, Delegate Tim Miley there. And, you know, he's got a point, doesn't he, though? If we're going to end up right back where we were, and that's Sarah and I had this conversation uh, before she entered her advanced parental training program. But the worst thing that can happen out of this special session is just to end up right back where you started. I still say there's a lot of good things in this omnibus education bill. And I get it. You're coming from a position where you you don't have to support it, but I had not thought about it in the context that that, that Tim Miley put it. If you're so confident in these provisions, you're so confident in the charter schools provision, then run these as separate bills and pass them. You've got the majority. Republicans have the majority. I understand the point of bundling. You ever watch American Pickers? Uh, What's the bearded guy? He likes to bundle things where you put a bunch of items in a package and he gets a little bit of a discount and the, the, the seller thinks they're getting a little more money, the buyer gets a little bit of a discount because he's got three or four things bundled into one little package. So I I get the point. You want these things, we want this, we're going to put them into one big package, and, you know, you use your leverage, your strategy. It's, It's been done since the beginning of politics. But I hadn't thought about it in the context that that Tim Miley put it there, though. If If you're so confident, if you are confident in these bills, run them. Run them. You've got the majority. Republicans have the majority. Both houses. Just don't want to end up back at the same spot. Because what's going to happen is it's going to take over the legislative session again in 2020 when they get back down there in January. We're going to go through this whole rigmarole again. And in the meantime, roads will be falling apart. Construction projects won't be getting started. There's any number of issues we need to deal with. Oil and gas regulation, so on and so forth. We're going to end up right back in the same spot again. This time with an election pending. What do you think? 800-765-TALK, 800-765-8255. Should they just call it off? Just right now, say, you know what, we're done. We will... uh, Table this until the regular session starts. You know what? We'll pose the question to Woody Thrasher when he comes in. He's the Republican, one of the Republicans running for the GOP nomination, and he's running against his former boss. He'll join us in studio coming up on the other side of the break. We'll visit with Woody Thrasher coming up 
Right now, it's 9.30. Let's get a news update from the Metro News Anchor Desk. Find out what's happening all across West Virginia. We're talking about your town on WAJR. Joining me in studio this morning, he's running for the Republican nomination for governor. You may have heard of him. Uh, Woody Thrasher joining me in the studio. Good morning, Woody. Good morning. How Terrific you doing? to be here. Thank you. Glad you could come in studio this yeah, morning. Yeah, well, it's great to be here. I, I have to be on my best behavior now. Yeah, I've got my eye on you this morning. A- and Sarah's not here to keep me on my best behavior. <laughs> so we, who knows where we may end up by the end of this well, good, show. Well, good luck. <laughs> hey, uh, Woody, obviously. Well, you know what? I'll let you talk about your background. Then we'll jump into some topics here instead of uh, reading the full intro. Just... Uh, you're a Harrison County native. Take sure. it from there. I've uh, been a Harrison County native and lived there my whole life, except um, I was living in the back of my pickup truck after graduation from high, uh, from college, uh, engineering school. And uh, I got a call from my father. My mother had become ill, and I returned to West Virginia to sort of look after her. I'd lost a couple of siblings and ended up getting married and putting down roots and starting an engineering company with my father in 1983. He and I and a administrative assistant started the company, uh, worked really hard every day, grew that company. It's now a company of 700 people with 11 offices in seven states. Uh, you know, been in West Virginia all my life. I unfortunately have seen a decline throughout the state since we started our firm 35 years ago. You know, I love West Virginia. I love the people, but it kind of breaks my heart to see the direction that we're going. I'd like to give back to my state. And so I feel like running for governor is a uh, a worthwhile endeavor to undertake. It's not common that a, that a sitting governor gets a challenge in his primary. Why did you feel that the governor needed to be challenged in the primary next May? Good question. I think it's because we are fundamentally not receiving really good leadership at the highest level in the state. I think when you look across the board and you look at roads issues, school issues, very things fundamental to functionality of the state, as well as a real vision for growth, I just don't think this governor is providing the type of leadership that our citizens deserve. And so it is an unusual sort of step to take, but I think it's one that's necessary for the future of West Virginia. Is there turmoil in the state GOP right now? You know, I think you could put it that way. (laughs) Absolutely. I think when you have uh, a Republican-led Senate and a Republican-led House and a Republican governor, uh, you guys do a whole bunch of sports broadcasting, and we all know when teammates get along, teams win. Conversely, when teammates squabble and don't get along, teams lose. And I think that's a good analogy for the state of West Virginia right now. I think we've got teammates that are not getting along, and unfortunately, I have to lay the the, the majority of that blame at the governor's feet, and I think West Virginians are losing. What do you make of the news coming out of the Senate this week? You have Craig Blair calling for the governor's resignation, uh, then saying that we need to have a no-confidence vote. Ryan Weld yesterday uh, with Hoppy said he'd be a yes for a no-confidence vote right now. What do you, what do you make of this, um, you know, members of the Republican Party going going after the governor right now. Well, you know, that's not uh, new news because really if you look at the executive committees of a number of different uh, counties across the state of West Virginia, they sort of got that ball rolling with a no-confidence vote. So it's not limited to the elected officials. And I think that share that, that view is shared by Republicans 
from executive committees to, to the elected officials. It's a really unfortunate situation. It's not the sort of um, publicity we want for our state, certainly not for our party, but I think it is reflective of a growing, ever-growing and ever-accelerating concern about the governor's ability to lead this state. Talking to Woody Thrasher, Republican running for governor. He'll be challenging the governor in the primary uh, coming up next May. Looking at your website, looking at some materials, you're promoting yourself as the you would be the full-time governor, a full-time governor. Why do you think that would resonate? Why would that resonate with voters? Well, I think that's what success comes from, is somebody that really gives it their all, is there every single day working with fellow Republican and Democratic legislators, reaching out to the people across the state, finding what the issues are. You know, it's a big job running the state of West Virginia. It is a full-time job. It takes 100% of your efforts, not only being there, but you're sort of where, you know, where your mind is and what you're thinking about. So that is clearly not happening. The governor is clearly not uh, residing in the mansion. He clearly is not showing up for work every day. His means of communication is a flip phone, and I think it's fundamentally inadequate for the job. Talking to Woody Thrasher, you mentioned starting the engineering firm. Engineers are presented with problems all the time. We need to we need to build a bridge, right. figure it out. Yeah, we're problem solvers. <laughs> You're problem solvers. So how do you apply that to the governor's office and to issues that we're facing? I mean, everything from roads to education. Yeah, so, sort of sort of fundamental stuff. First, let me interject. You know, I built this company by traveling to every small city, county, public service district across the state of West Virginia. We've done projects in all 55 counties. I know this state like nobody else knows this state. I've traveled it. I know the people, and I've seen where we have come from. I'm, I'm so sorry to tell you that today... I can't name three communities. I, I can only name three communities in the state of West Virginia that are in better shape now than when I began my career. So clearly we have not trended in the right direction for the long haul. That's a problem, and I think I have a solution to that problem. Specifically, we desperately need economic development within our state. That economic development need, needs to be a diversified uh, economy base. We're a great resource extraction state. It's carried us for years and years, but we have not diversified this state. So fundamentally, I think we need to diversify our economy. Tourism is a great start. There's a whole lot of other areas that we can do, which I could get into in detail later. And additionally, I think our biggest single problem is loss of population. You know, we've lost 11,000 people this year. They tend to be young, educated people that don't necessarily want to leave but do because of a lack of opportunity. That's 20 years in a row. We've lost more population than anybody else in America. That's what we need to reverse. We do it by creating opportunities. I think we do that through diversification in our economy. We're talking to Woody Thrasher, Republican running for governor. He's running against the sitting governor in the primary coming up in May. We'll continue the conversation. Yes, we'll talk education on the other side of the break. 941, Dave and Sarah. Join the conversation at 1-800-765-8255. This is the Talk of the Town on WAJR. Woody Thrasher joining us in studio, Republican running for governor, challenging Governor Justice in the uh, primary election. Of course, the big talk right now, Woody, education reform, omnibus bill. So I'm actually tired of saying the word omnibus. We're, <laughs> we're trying to come up with games to go with omnibus, but that's a whole other story. Um 
What's your take right now on the Omni? Well, let, let's start here. Education reform. What's your take on education reform? And then we'll get a little more specific. Well, first, and I think foremost, you have to, you have to say we've got great teachers throughout West Virginia. And I think without question, those teachers needed and required pay raises, as did the state workers. I also think there are a whole lot of issues that need dealt with relative to education that are included in this bill. One thing that is included that I recognize as controversial is the charter school aspect of it. I got to be honest, I fundamentally believe that's a reasonable thing to do. You know, unfortunately, West Virginia does spend 17th or 19th in the country, yet we're 49th in performance. I just think it's fundamentally unfair for a child to have no option relative to education depending upon where their, that, that kid's zip code is. I really, in business, I, you know, competition breeds really better results. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with having charter schools. I think it makes sense. Forty-four other states have agreed with that. So I must say I do come down on the side of support of that legislation. Where do you stand on education savings accounts? You know, a much more controversial issue because I think there is a reasonable argument that that takes funds away from local school boards. And so while I understand that um, there is a reasonable aspect to being able to have those savings accounts, I think you also have to be very careful that you don't take much-needed monies from school boards relative to do that. So I have not taken a position on the ESAs yet. I, I try to avoid questions like this, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. Uh, put yourself in the governor's mansion right now. Yeah. How would you handle this if you were the governor right now, you've got the Senate and the House that seem to be on different pages. You, you've got these controversial topics, the strike provision that's now wrapped into the omnibus bill. If you're governor, you're sitting in that chair. How are you handling this? Well, first, the governor could have resolved this two years ago, and we could have avoided the whole mess that we're in. There was great opportunities two sessions ago to have this whole issue put to bed. And I think this screams of the lack of leadership on his part that it has just snowballed in terms of discord sort of activity on the part of everybody. And so now he's got a real problem. Everybody's upset. Everybody's passionate. Everybody's emotional when we could have had a good, logical, thoughtful solution to this problem. What do you do now? I think you do what you always do when you have a problem with multi-sides to it. You pull all those affected parties into a room. You close the door. You work out a reasonable compromise among all parties, and you walk out of that room on a united front. Now, you can't always do that. Sometimes people just can't agree and can't compromise. And if that's the case, unfortunately, you fall to what the majority rules. And I think you make your best argument for why the solution you pick is reasonable. It's simple problem solving, but the key to it is this, engaging all affected parties. And that just isn't being done. Willie Thrasher joining us in the studio, Republican gubernatorial candidate. We're coming up on the third anniversary of those devastating floods in the southern part of the state. You were in the commerce. You were commerce secretary. We've it's it's been widely reported on. We've we've detailed everything that's happened over the last couple of years. What would you say to those people who are still in the southern part of the state, waiting on houses to be built, waiting on this funding to come through? I would say it was very unfortunate that the governor decided to stop that program February 11th of 2017. That put this whole program behind the eight ball, three months with no activity when we had construction crews fully mobilized on site, ready to rebuild homes. 
The governor and Bray Carey and Brian Abraham decided that was a time to pull the plug. I think it was a huge mistake. I think now you see there continue to be mounting problems, not only with that program, but with the FEMA issues as well. And I'm sorry, but once again, it shows a lack of really good leadership of getting the governor's arms wrapped around this problem, understanding who was performing, who wasn't, and making sure things are getting done. Hindsight being 2020, looking back, would you have done anything differently as Commerce Secretary? Well, absolutely. I think relative to the floods, we would have continued full steam ahead with the efforts that were already approved by HUD, and we'd have significantly more homes rebuilt. I think when you look at FEMA, if somebody was looking, they should have recognized that under Jimmy Janetta there were problems with that organization, which were overlooked, not reported, and instead of dealing with that problem, Jimmy Janetta was elevated by this governor, which was a huge mistake. Relative to commerce as far as economic development, I can assure you that this state was very much on track with substantial economic development, diversification of our economy, and unfortunately a lot of the efforts that we began have been have been stopped. Got a couple of minutes, and you mentioned diversification of the economy. When you say that, what what do you have in mind? Because obviously, we've been an extraction state, we've been a coal state. We all know that. So, what what do you picture? What do you vision moving forward? Here's what I think. When you look at the southern coal fields, and you look at Hatfield McCoy Trail, you recognize there are substantial recreational opportunities in southern West Virginia that need to be developed. Additionally, it's a great source for rare earth minerals. The only place those are harvested now is in China. They have a monopoly on it. I think we should lobby our federal government to be able to begin a program to extract those, and I think it would generate a lot of employment in southern West Virginia. When you look at the eastern panhandle, they're close to those urban markets, and so those companies that need distribution facilities are perfect to locate in that, and I think we'll be successful in attracting them. My area is Harrison County, the center of the state. We're a diversified economy. We've got a budding aerospace industry. We do have oil and gas activity. I think that diversification needs prospered. You slip over to Parkersburg where we landed the Hino assembly plant. I think there's great opportunity for automobile manufacturing and parts supply that needs to be promoted. You go to the northern panhandle, and while it's oil and gas, we need to do those things to develop the full value of the liquids that reside in our natural gas, such as the storage hub. I think the governor has been lukewarm in his support for that gas industry. And the nice thing about that, if we can develop that petrochemical industry, it is not subject to the peaks and valleys that the extraction economy is subject to. So if we can really develop the value-added lines of materials that use that raw material, those would be great jobs for West Virginians. You know, you mentioned a little bit earlier people leaving the state. we got to get people to stay here. And one of those big perceptions, this is going to end up being more of a comment than a question here, changing that perception, and we talk about this so much on this show, you know, with, with you know students right now who are in middle school and college, changing that idea that I have to leave West Virginia to get a good job. I have to leave West Virginia to find a good-paying job. When, and we talk about this all the time. This ties back into education, tying those what, what employers are looking for, the skill sets they're looking for, connecting that to students who, you know, in the seventh, eighth right. grades, right. And, and learning that you don't have to leave West Virginia or creating opportunities where you don't have to leave West Virginia. Let me give you a very specific personal example. The Thrasher Group employs 700 people. This summer we have 50 student interns working at our company. These are homegrown West Virginia kids going to various engineering schools across the college. The average age of our workforce is 35. That's because we have, through our um, internship program, 
developed all kinds of West Virginia talent. When they're given an opportunity to stay in the state of West Virginia, the vast majority desire to do so. Not everybody, but the vast majority do. So it shows me if you can create job opportunities, kids will stay and people will move in. Woody Thrasher running for governor and uh, challenging Jim Justice in the Republican primary coming up in May. Appreciate you stopping by. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. By the way, I will never miss an opportunity to point out you are in the presence of two very proud Marshall alum. Alumni. There you Just go. We God, love, I we never love, miss the opportunity. Well, we love all our institutions of <laughs> higher learning, and Marshall is one of those places to produce great engineering graduates. We'll wrap it up, set the table for Oppie next. Listen to the Talk of the Town podcast anytime, anywhere, online at wajr.com. Fun show. Good conversations today. If you missed uh, any parts of those, we'll have the podcast posted at WAJR.com. And uh, producer Joe will have video clips. Right, Joe? Of those interviews posted up at our Facebook page as well a little bit later today. By the way, our buddy McStatewide, Brad McElhenney on MSNBC. Guys everywhere. Guys just everywhere. Uh, let's see, Hoppy Kirchville coming up next. He's scheduled to have Tim Miley on top of the hour as well, talk about uh, the letter he delivered to the governor's office. No indication the governor was there, uh, but uh, he'll be on to talk about that and calling for an end to the special session on education reform. Coming up tomorrow on this program, we are scheduled to visit with the state attorney general, Patrick Morrissey, scheduled to join us tomorrow coming up here on WHAR. Hoppy Kirchville is coming up next. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.